Welcome once again to another Coffee and Heroes podcast. We're back now a couple of days later than normal, but still adhering to our weekly review show. So we're going to be going through the releases this week from the 28th of April, which coincidentally was the last day of click and collect in Coffee and Heroes before actually getting to reopen to the public on the 30th of April. But more on that later. You know, your host as always, Alan, owner and operator of Coffee and Heroes in Belfast. And it's once again the dynamic duo this evening. So I'm joined by Keith. Good evening and how are you, sir? I am doing all right. Jesus, we've had a bumper week of podcasting, Alan. I feel like if I haven't seen you in the store, and it's been lovely to see you in person in the store, I've been seeing you on the screen because, Jesus, what, Sunday, Tuesday, <laughs> today? <laughs> yeah, it's been a busy one, but it's been a, a week full of absolute quality. We got our previews podcast put out there. We were joined once again by Roddy for that one. So we, we did that interestingly enough uh, a lot of these podcasts are recorded later on in the day obviously we're we're, we're both working men so uh but ironic uh, interestingly enough we did the previous one at uh, about half 10 on a sunday which was quite nice to have the whole day free mm-hmm. after that mm-hmm. yeah, it really was it really was i mean i tend to to favor trying to get it done a wee bit earlier these these days just uh you know because you you finish work and then if you get it out of the way you still have a a wee bit of a wee bit of the evening to do. Not that it's not an absolute pleasure to stand here and, and talk comics, you know. <laughs> the truth comes um, out. You're just sick of the side of me at this point, so you just want to get it done. That's fine. I can accept that. I can accept that. <laughs> not at all. I wouldn't do the, do you the disservice or do our our listeners the disservice. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's 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 been a, it's definitely been a been a fair old week in front of the in front of the microphone. I wish we could say in the studio, but we 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 don't have a studio yet. Maybe someday we'll get there. You know, we're waiting for you to buy a house, Keith, and then we'll have a studio. <laughs> and uh, what about the uh, we we of course had a, had a great podcast on Tuesday night as well that we did yeah we were fortunate enough to be doing once again our creator interviews and we were we actually had returning guests for the first time obviously everyone we've re- uh, recorded with to this point it's been a, a first time interview but these were returning guests which were Declan Shelby uh, and we were also joined by Rory McConville as well so these guys are Long-time friends, long-time collaborators, and they have a new Image series launching next week. Uh, it will be out on the 12th of May. It's called Time Before Time. And we sat down to chat all things Time Before Time with them. So it was really good crack chatting away with those guys. I especially enjoyed you and uh, Rory trying to figure out how many people in Cork you both knew because <laughs> your other half being from Cork. So that was Yeah, that was and it was, it was even closer than Cork. You know, it turns out that uh, there's a... I guess there's a neighborhood uh, down there called Bishopstown, and that's where my, my other half is from. And, uh, you know, talking to Rory, and uh, I was like, oh, I see a Cork man, uh, my other half's from Cork, and uh, whereabouts? Bishopstown. No way, I'm from Bishopstown too, he says. So. It's a small world. <laughs> yeah, very, very small. But, Isn't it just uh, yeah, great? Were... Isn't it just great when the stereotypical Irishness comes up of, you might know my friend from around the corner? <laughs> totally, yeah. it's, as you say. Small world, smaller country, but. Uh, yeah, two very very nice guys who were very generous with their time. Really looking forward to that book. That's gonna be that's gonna be something else. And uh, the uh, the podcast, you 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 were super quick getting it getting it edited and getting it out. So it's uh, it's it'll be before us here uh, tonight's podcast on the feed. Um, that'll be yeah. Uh, yeah, that was definitely my quickest turnaround ever, I have to say. But yeah, just when creators are good enough to uh, when creators are good enough to spend a bit of time with you and chat with you and all the rest. And, and obviously they have things to promote as well and with it being out next week I just thought it was important to get that straight out and you know it's about an hour and ten minutes but they're, they're just really really good spuds to chat to and 
a lot of crack, uh, even though I backed what we're, we're going to talk about next here, which is the Time Before Time process edition, so as well as as well as the full comic coming out next week or starting next week, the brand new number one, there is a Kickstarter for what's called the process edition. And it is going to be examining the creation of the series step by step from idea to finish comic. I mean, it sounds really interesting. It's almost like a how to set up your own, you know, indie comic and take you through it stage by stage. And I backed it and I backed it with, uh, you know, a, a tier that has an original sketch from Declan. And uh, I, I was expecting a real nice sort of, oh, thank you very much, Alan, I really appreciate that, but instead got a sarky, oh, only took you 20 days, that's the kind of support I need. <laughs> but, I mean, I guess that is, that's the point. Um, if you're, I mean, this looks like a fantastic book, Time Before Time, it's a a, a, a crime time travel thriller. Yeah. Uh, and there just seems to be that, you know, that these people are committing crimes in 20, 2140 that... Uh, that the, uh, the 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 planet is sort of at the end of its tether, and uh, there's a, a criminal organization called the Syndicate, who have the ability to uh, to to take people back in time and and leave them there. So they effectively, you know, people commit crimes, and then in order to escape, they're taken back in time to, to live their lives out there. So uh, so really interesting. Um, that's uh, really really good. And the the Kickstarter you can find it. By, uh, by by Google and Kickstarter and uh, time before time, so uh, if you're interested and in, uh, interested in supporting creators from Ireland as well, um, yeah. seek that out and uh, and uh, and give them a wee give them a wee kickstart. Well, the good thing at this point is it is successfully funded. But what what a lot of creators do in Kickstarter is they do things called stretch goals, where if the it's more successful than they initially anticipated, there's extra little bonuses thrown in and things like that. So. If you back it at this point, it will 100% get made. And But if depending on how many more people do back it and how much money they take, there will be uh, stretch goals. So definitely check it out. There's there's stretch goals there. Or sorry, there's tiers to back it from as low as £5 and and going as high as I think it's 1000 I think is a an original art page from it. I couldn't quite go that high, but I did go high enough for an original Declan Shelby sketch. Even though I already have bought an original Declan Shelby page for Vicky for christmas which was from wolverine black white and blood so that's another thing we need to get framed just off the top of my head <laughs> things have been piling up but uh as well as the time before time there was some really cool news dropped this morning regarding mark millar and the magic order so it would seem that there was a pilot made last year and netflix decided not to pick it up or not to go forward with it well it is back in development at netflix so they clearly like something about the idea but not only that, Mark Miller's been away from uh, the spotlight for a couple of years and he says he's been writing like crazy. And he announced today that the Magic Order will be back with Volume 2 and Volume 3, uh, with Volume 2 having art by Stuart Eminen and it's going to drop in October. And then it's it's a little bit vague at this point. It does say followed immediately afterward by Volume 3 with the art by Gigi Cavanago. So we're not sure if this is these are going to be graphic novels. They're going to be single issues. It, the wording suggests it could go either way. Maybe they're still maybe they're still deciding. I mean, yeah. I mean, I would my my initial assumption was that you know you, they're probably going to be five or six issues each volume, but it's very indistinct from from the report exactly how they're going to be releasing them. I'm a wee bit uh, wee bit disappointed that, that he's not sticking with uh, Olivier uh, Coipel uh, on art. Um, wouldn't surprise not, me if not... he does color covers or something like that mark millar's been like that i mean it was the same with chrononauts chrononauts was a miller world property time travel again interestingly enough but sean gordon murphy did the art for the first one 
but then it was a different artist for the second one. So maybe it's a case of time, you know, being booked. But Olivier Coppel's art is superb. We're, we're big, big fans of his. And I, I mean, I guess what uh, Jupiter's Legacy is about to jump on the Netflix, isn't it? Jupiter's That's probably Legacy what has, uh... starts tomorrow. So yeah, the, the trailers for this look really interesting and the, the budget spent on this looks incredible. You always worry when superhero ensemble shows are going to be on TV that maybe the budget might be stretched in due to the sheer size of the cast and stuff like that. But this just looked like a movie. I suppose in the same way something like The Boys did. I mean, it's just amazing the world we live in now. I mean, 10 years ago superhero stuff and comic book stuff was at an absolute premium and now it seems like there's a new show dropping every couple of weeks and they all just look class so we're very much happy about that and also as well mark millard dropped as well that he's been hard at work on a six episode live action spy series as well which is his first since kingsman but he does say it's a very different kind of property so he's uh he's definitely fanning the flames at the moment and uh teasing us like crazy (laughs) And while uh, while uh, Miller World is uh, is pushing ahead, nonstop Spider Man is stopping. Yeah, you definitely came <laughs> up with the best note for this. I have to say, it's uh, it's crazy. I mean, the first couple of issues have been out. Um, the it's uh, Joe. Who is it on on Joe nonstop? Joe Kelly, I Spider-Man. believe. Yeah, Joe Kelly. Yeah, Joe and, Kelly uh, writing and Chris Bacallo on art. That's the one, and uh, you know it was delayed initially in its original release uh, due to due to lockdown and so forth. It was it was previewed way back when, but it seems that uh, that the nonstop Spider-Man title is going to see its next three issues also pushed back a month. So nonstop Spider-Man three was scheduled to go on sale uh, next week on May the twelfth. It's going to be on sale June second. Number four was supposed to be July seventh. Oh, it has a new release date of July 7th, and number five has a new release date of August 4th. So, and they haven't said why. So, I don't know. I, believe, just I think there was a different artist. Themselves. I think there was a different artist on it initially as well before Chris Piccolo, and then he came in to take over from them. And and don't get me wrong, I'm I'm enjoying the title so far, but these these little like Amazing Spider-Man comes out like clockwork. Uh, Spider-Man Life Story came out like clockwork, but these little mini-series, whether it was J.J. Abrams' Spider-Man or this non-stop Spider-Man, they just seem beset by delays and issues, and, you know, they're a little strange, and it's, it does kill momentum when you've got a shorter story like that, and you're not releasing it, you know, regular as clockwork. Both companies, are, I mean, are guilty of it, and even the independent companies it happens with as well, but... You think when it's it was just, a top tier character like Spider Man, everything would be in the bag, ready to go, and then out monthly, you know? And, and it's not even that. I mean, the 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 stories following Peter Parker after criminals uh, that have been implicated in the death of a, a classmate through drug trafficking that sort of uh, hypes up your intelligence, and then in the backstory, it's possible that that drug is tied to Baron Zemo, who we've become refamiliarized with, and. Uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier, and he's getting it in a, a Hydra sec that are developing the drug. But the 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 whole feel of it is very much, you know, it's these these big fights, and it's very much the fast pace and the structure of something like Speed or Crank. You know, those movies that are just moving forward all the time. You know, it's uh, it's got that feel. So it's just it's just ironic that it it just can't seem to get going. Yeah, well, one last bit of comic news that I wanted to throw out. This maybe won't mean an awful lot to you, Keith, but this got me very excited. I'm a massive American Office fan, and they are going to be releasing a graphic novel based on Michael Scott, who was the main character, played by Steve Carell, 
Uh, he wrote a profoundly incompetent, terrible movie. And he shot it over like five or six years through the office. And then, you know, he was using the actors. He was using the, the cast, basically, in, in his movie. And it was absolutely terrible. But they uh, they finally showed it in the show. And there, there was like a sit down. They sat and watched it and all the rest. So you saw bits and pieces of it. But it's going to be released as a graphic novel. And there seems to be a an official office website, which is called the Dunder Mifflin Paper website. With Dunder Mifflin, of course, being the company from the office. And they've actually a few different comic books on there that you buy directly from them. They've even got a sequel comic called Return of the Office, which has a a uh, homage cover to The Walking Dead number one, except it's Dwight standing outside the office with like cracked windows in the background. But the idea of them putting this uh, putting this one together is fantastic. I'm a massive Office fan, and again, it, it's one of those so bad it's good type of things. The movie he makes and. Yeah, I know you haven't watched The American Office, Kate. I can't recommend it enough. I'm probably on about my sixth rewatch of it at this point. It's just <laughs> outstanding. Um, but yeah, on the TV and movies, you know, what are we going to talk about now? There's no Falcon Winter Soldier. Uh, Invincible's finished for now, although Vicky and I aren't fully caught up on it just yet. On the plus side, there was an incredibly brilliant and moving Marvel trailer that launched this week. Uh, was that That brought tears to my eyes. I have to say it was it was one of those uh, just just moments. Maybe maybe it's the you know it's the anticipation of of seeing these things at the cinema finally or whatever. And obviously the inclusion of uh, of Stan Lee's vocals uh, in the trailer was uh, fantastic. Talking about the the connections between us, the connections in the Marvel universe and the relationships. But um, but yeah, it was just running through the trailer uh, ran through you know I guess some 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 very brief scenes of some things that are coming up uh you know the from the long long awaited black widow solo film to kamala khan's first mcu appearance on disney plus and you know all of the all of the planned uh mcu movie and, and disney plus stuff so uh it was great I, I just thought it was a fantastic trailer you know um there was a lot of black widow stuff there was some some Loki stuff, and then you know Black Widow. Uh, there was Shang Chi and the Ten Rings, the Eternals. Um, there was some Miss Marvel stuff. There was some um, certainly they showed the the we, they revealed Captain Marvel 2's uh, title, which is just the Marvels, I believe. Uh, they uh, they revealed uh, Black Panther 2's title, Wakanda Forever, very fitting. Um, and what else? There was a bunch of other stuff in there, wasn't there? Was there? Thor, Love and Thunder was in there. There was... Quantum Mania. Uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp, I believe. Quantum Mania. Uh, and then, of course, it ended with uh, a very familiar-looking <laughs> number as well, which some people... I, I don't know how people came to this conclusion regarding what that four meant, but there was a lot of online uh, chatter that that four represented Marvel Phase 4. I don't think what that's that's what the four was about. No, I don't think that's what the four was about either. That, to me, that was that that there was no doubt that uh, that that was the, the 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 quiet first announcement of Marvel's first family coming to the MCU. And I have a uh, sneaky feeling that they've already cast it and they're already working on it because they've they've not really been forthright with teasing stuff unless they have stuff in place. So I would imagine, keep an eye out in the next month or two. I think you're going to get a casting announcement for that. Mm, I would say you're. I would say you're right. But yeah, if you haven't watched that 
that trailer. Uh, it's they, what do they have? Marvel celebrates the movies. Yeah, it was Marvel it? celebrates the movies. So, but as you say, as as much as it was great seeing new footage and it was great seeing dates and this and that, it was just great to have that movie theater feeling again. I mean, I loved that they included the the footage from Endgame. You know, the crowd reaction stuff from <laughs> you know Cap catching the hammer and Avengers Assemble and on your left and. You know, it, it, it just reminds you why those movies are so special and, and are best enjoyed with a crowd as well. So, you know, we did all the midnight shows, of course, and, you know, just get me back in a cinema seat. I really can't yeah, wait for them to yes. reopen. Absolutely. Uh, you, won't be, uh, you won't be back in the cinema anytime soon to see Blade anyway. Um, news is that, uh, that Marvel's Blade has been uh, delayed. Uh, starring uh, Mahershal Ali, um, who was Cottonmouth in Luke Cage, uh, has now been pushed. The start of filming has been pushed back nine months to July 2022. So I would say you're not going to see... Uh, it's going to be a late 2023 release, at least. Yeah, um, it was interesting in that trailer. It didn't have a date for it. It was conspicuous by its absence. Not that there wasn't more than enough to keep you occupied, but it was a little conspicuous by its absence. So I think they did have to comment on that relatively quickly just so people knew it was still coming. But... On the plus side, you know, Mar Marvel are very good about giving you bad news, but sandwiching it in between some good news. So uh, on the plus side, it looks like we're going to be getting to see Loki a little sooner. And weirdly, I, I don't know how I feel about this. I was enjoying my Friday night appointment television for Marvel on <laughs> Disney Plus, but it looks like it's going to be on Wednesdays now instead. Oh, have they moved, deliberately moved it to new comic book day? Well, that could be true. I mean, they've already taken aim at DC a few times about that because in America, DC released their titles on a Tuesday now. Uh -huh. But I steadfastly stick to a Wednesday over this side of the world. But it is an interesting idea, actually making it an all-encompassing comic book day, I suppose. But I would also yeah. argue it maybe distracts from reading your comics on the Wednesdays you're watching TV. Maybe. I mean, is that is that maybe what they're aiming at? Are they are they are they are Marvel going to capitalize on Wednesdays? Possibly, possibly, but on the plus side, it's bringing new stuff back onto the TV, so we're not going to complain too much about that at all. Uh, I did notice some news today as well regarding uh, Ta-Nehisi Tana Coates' penned upcoming Superman movie. Let's say that five times fast. <laughs> there was a piece in The Hollywood Reporter, so the project's going to be produced by J.J. Abrams, and as I said, it's going to be written by Ta-Nehisi Coates, who of course is well known recently as writing Captain America, writing Black Panther. It will not be tied to Henry Cavill's uh, led version of the character. It's going to be treating Superman a little bit like the upcoming Matt Reeves' Batman, and that it won't be connected to any other DC films or series. Now, the script is apparently in, in the works, and it's going to be ready by the end of the year, but what's causing a bit of controversy is that they are committed to finding a black director for the film and a black actor, but they want to keep it as Kal-El and keep it as Clark Kent. Now, there are already... Um, Superman of color in the DC universe so I don't know if they if they're completely disconnected why they don't just focus on one of those you know um Michael B Jordan yeah. was linked to it but he said he's flattered he's in that conversation but he's just watching on this one so whether someone's lined up I'm not sure but you, you know, know what as I as I've already postulated Michael B Jordan's lined up to replace uh to take on the Black Panther mantle, I would lay money on it. <laughs> oh, I am so going to look up uh, some Benny notes for that and send them your way because you are yeah. sure of that. I mean, I, I really, I really don't, I don't matter, don't mind at all. I mean, I mean, Superman is a hero for the world, like he's a hero for the earth. So, uh, so it, it doesn't, you know, as long as, as long as the beats of the story are hit, 
uh, I don't I don't think it matters terribly. But what it is interesting is they're they're considering optioning it as a as a 20th, 20th century period tale. Mm-hmm. So that you know, set in the you know potentially set in the in the nineteen eighties nineteen nineties, um, and it will follow the classic story of the Kryptonian child Kal-El sent to Earth and growing up as Clark Kent. Um, so that's an interesting choice as well. Yeah, I mean, my only concern with it, and unfortunately, it's because it's going to be tethered to the to the Snyder stuff. I just, I still think to this day, just Henry Cavill did not get a fair shake in the role, and I think there's unfinished business there. And I, I would love to see another Superman movie with him in it, uh, because certainly towards the end of you know the Snyder cut of Justice League, he's more at home in the role. You've got the pieces in place there, the relationship with Lois and. I don't know. I, I, I just think Henry Cavill should have got more of a fair shake, but he's been obviously tethered to Zack Snyder's uh, interpretation mm-hmm. of the universe. And, you know, despite what all these people with their hashtag restore the Snyderverse think, there is not going to be any more Snyder stuff. Just enjoy what you got, people, and move on. Uh, yeah, and if, no, I'm saying, if I'm saying that, that says it all. <laughs> uh, he did. I mean, he was, he was definitely one of, the, one of the, the redeemable things about that whole, um, you know, uh, Snyderverse, Whedonverse sort of stuff. He definitely, you know, I would, I would like to have seen him get another, get another run for sure. Yeah, I mean, he already got shoved to the side when Batman v Superman came along because that started life as Man of Steel two, and mutated into it. But let's be honest, a Batman movie with Superman in it. So I just think he deserved a little better because I'm, I'm a big fan of Man of Steel. But, uh, but of course, it's a Superman movie. It'll be in the theater. I'll be there day one. So you know, I have no complaints whatsoever about a new interpretation. I ju- my worry is always just confusing the general public because it's the general public that usually defines whether these movies will be successful or not and whether more will be made. You know, that's what the Marvel movies have always done brilliantly. They've appealed, obviously, to comic book fans, but they've appealed to Joe public as well. So, and I don't know what it is. Just ever since the Christopher Reeves movie, they've never quite nailed a Superman movie for the general public. You know, mm. Superman Returns didn't hit the mark. Man of Steel obviously has its fans, but it certainly wasn't a Marvel-sized hit or a, you know, Avengers-sized hit, anything like that. So, but we'll wait and see, as ever. Keep an open mind with these things. Um, but yeah, just to finish off TV and movies, just a couple of trailers that hit that might appeal to a few people. There was a early teaser for Stranger Things season four released today, a very quick scene, which seems to follow the return of Dr. Martin Brenner. Uh, at the Hawkins National Laboratory, where, of course, he experimented on children, of course, Eleven being one of those. Very, very brief trailer, very atmospheric. Uh, I was surprised there wasn't that classic Stranger Things music at the end of it, you know, yes, that, that yeah. sort of synth mm-hmm. um, synth soundtrack, so to speak. So, But New Stranger Things is always a good thing, and mm-hmm. a very unusual show for Netflix in that it's gone beyond season three, mm-hmm. which in itself is a, a testament. <laughs> And then just one last trailer uh, I think is worth pointing out. It's not really comic book related, but it's certainly a movie I'm a huge fan of. So A Quiet Place Part 1 was awesome. Uh, Probably one of the best horror movies of the last decade. Uh, Nice little link to The Office here as well with John Krasinski. He wrote and directed A Quiet Place, and he is directing the second one, uh, Quiet Place Part 2. It was originally due, are you ready for this? This was originally due in March of 2020. This is one of this is a delay up there with Black Widow. Wow. Uh, so it's going to be hitting in cinemas, and it says it will arrive only in cinemas May twenty eighth. So this is not going to be one of those models of, you know, same day release at home on HBO Max or on streaming services or whatever. It's going to be out for what in the states will be Memorial Day weekend. So they're obviously hoping to get a good bit of business there. 
And with the trailer itself, there's a lot of reviews, ex, uh, excerpts put into it. And one of them is like, this is the kind of experience cinema's made for. So I'm really looking forward to that. And that'll be one of the first movies I will go and see in the cinema once it, uh, once it gets reopened again. So yeah, that's going to pretty much do it for our TV, comics, movies, all the rest news. Uh, just another quick reminder, just again, we of our, our, our latest podcast that we dropped in with the Declan Shelby, Rory McConville interview. Definitely get on top of that and definitely get pre-ordered in time before time because it looks awesome. Uh, expect us to be talking about it in a review show in a couple of weeks. But we're going to focus on 20th of April for releases. So pretty big week for us both as ever. Uh, of course, we're both in the 20s. Uh, I had a total of 26 titles this week, 7 DC, 4 Marvel, 15 indie books. I just cannot resist the lure of an indie book. <laughs> and I had one omnibus in there as well, which was a, a behemoth of a book, which is uh, the Final Crisis Omnibus. I am going to be very upfront just before we get on to Keith's totals. With this being the first week we were back open, I've only got through about half of my pull list so far. So I will have plenty to contribute, but there are still a few that I haven't quite got to just yet. But uh, again, that's a testament to how busy the store's been. So thank you to each and every one of you who've walked through the door for that. So, But what were your totals from this week, Keith? I was sitting on 21 books uh, in total. I had four DC, nine Marvel, seven indie, and one indie original graphic novel. Um, I also had one DC back issue with uh, Nightwing, volume two, number one million. Because you didn't buy enough Nightwing the, the week before. <laughs> Just have, I have one more to get, uh, Nightwing, volume two, number half. <laughs> uh, and that is me with a with a complete uh, a complete run. So that's uh, that that that's a that's a cry for help there. If anybody uh, with Nightwing number half is listening and wants to send it my way, <laughs> yeah. So uh, I I'll, I'll keep an eye out for it for you. I don't like to see gaps in anybody's collection, and if it's only just that one, yeah, we need to get something done with that. But anyway, we'll we'll jump on to some honorable mentions as ever. You know, go through the DC, the Marvel, the indie stuff, and then go on to what our picks of the week were. So. We always like to kick off honorable mentions with uh, the DC stuff. So there's there's a good bit of DC here that we've both read. Again, this is my bias coming through when I say I haven't read a lot of my pull list this week. <laughs> I've read next to no Marvel, which is terrible. But I did manage to get through the DC books. And the first one, just to kick things off with, is we're very much enjoying the run on Detective Comics that uh, has been started by the team of Mariko Tamaki and uh, Dan Mora. Uh, Jordi Belair on colors as well. So... This is up at uh, Detective Comics 1035. So this is the second issue since Infinite Frontier kicked off. And first of all, Dan Mora is just evoking memories of peak era Jim Lee for me. I am absolutely adoring. Even if I didn't like the story of this, which I am very much enjoying, I would be on board this just for the art. A lot of good action in this in this stuff. Uh, you're introducing more and more crime elements as well and crime families and so forth. Uh, brilliant page layouts by Dan Mora as well. There's some really interesting stuff there. And he focuses on Bruce Wayne a lot, which I really like. I mean, even that opening page is Bruce in his new quasi-low-rent Batcave, which is sort of a series of interconnected uh, places in the sewers beneath Gotham. Micro-cave number 7A. Number 7A, <laughs> and he's standing there in full bat costume, but he doesn't have the cowl on and, you know, looking moody as ever, of course. But... Mm -hmm. But this is this has been great so far. Uh, I'm really enjoying the emphasis they're putting on Mayor Nakano. I am enjoying that they're setting up all the magistrate stuff, which is going to be leaning towards everything that happened with Future State. I like that they're starting to um, 
introduce the idea of who Peacemaker 1 is going to be. And then just beyond that, there's some really good horror elements to this as well. I mean, that last page of certainly of the Detective Comics story really caught me off guard. Uh, there was essentially a woman who had went missing in this story, you know, a, a really well-known sort of wealthy woman. And just at the end, there's just this scene of what looks almost like a zombie walking towards Bruce in the middle of the park. Mm-hmm. I was not expecting anything like that in this type of story. No, it's... Yeah, it, it twists and turns a wee bit. It's... It's... It's not easy to find anything to complain about in this in this book with uh, Mariko Tamagi and, and Dan Moore on it. It's just it's one of the best looking books that's coming out at the minute, week month month to month, you know. And it it's doing something very different, I think, than than the main bad book is doing as well. Yeah, very much um, so. I love it when the books are differentiated like that. Yeah, and I, and I think there's if you if you're gonna have multiple books about the same character they need to be differentiated as they're going to be doing with action comics and superman now in the very near future mm-hmm. um but yeah I, and i'm also loving i really you know whenever future state was first announced we were we, we were looking forward to it but you know it was an aside it was like okay so they're stopping things for two months and and then they're yeah. you know and there was there was some folks in the store that were actually sort of fairly vehemently against it at the at whenever it was announced if you recall but but i love what they have done with it that you know following the future state stories now it's almost to give you a sneak peek about where it's going to go at some point in the future and now you, these books are starting to make their way in that direction and you just you find yourself almost uh trying to join the dots you know trying to uh yeah it's you're you're invested like you're uh for sure, I really like it. I really, I really like it. Um, I find as well the backup stories have been very strong in the bath titles so far. And I don't think that's true of every you know DC title so far. They've obviously gone with this newer format, thicker book, backup stories. But I really thought this was a really affecting one. That was Mariko Tamaki writing again, but Clayton Henry on art this time, and it was focusing on Huntress and basically this wee old woman that she befriended and is um. Who, who looks unerringly, and I don't know if this is in purpose or not, who looks a lot, I think, like Gail Simone. Uh, I wouldn't have said she was a wee old woman. Well, I may be slightly off with that one, but uh, <laughs> she really looks like Gail Simone to me either way. Yeah, yeah. But okay, it's essentially all about Huntress making sure this woman gets home safe. She likes to take her cat out for, for walks, even though she lives in a bad neighborhood and all this kind of thing. And And it was quite a quite a sad wee story in the end but it also seems to feed into the main bat book obviously huntress or the main detective plotline sorry because yeah. huntress did make an appearance in that as well and yeah i think the i think detective's very strong for backups yeah I, I, yeah I, I i think you're right and i just though it's it's hard to it's hard to have a backup that's competing with that main story in any way shape or form and uh, yeah uh great stuff yeah great book fantastic book well, that's Detective Comics. What about DC's other um, mainline ongoing long-form series? So Action Comics you're on with Philip Kennedy Johnson, I believe? Yeah, that's uh, that's exactly right. Um, yeah, Philip Kennedy Philip Kennedy Johnson and um, Daniel Samper uh, on it. So this is the start of War World Rising. So in the same way as Detective Comics has you know previewed what's happening in Future State with, uh, with Batman... Future State also previewed what's happening, you know, what's coming up in Action Comics, and this is the start of War World Rising. Um, so, I guess 
Clark is starting to feel like a strange change in in his powers. Uh, something's happening, and uh, he's got he's got Batman and uh, and the Flash. Uh, no, sorry, Batman and the Atom uh, testing the powers out, and there's you know there's definitely a. You know, the Atom is very much, you know, ah, you'd be all right, you know, and Batman's, no, your output, uh, your output has, your power output has decreased, your speed and levels and force are diminished. We're also seeing slight cellular decay. And, uh, you know, Atom's very much, we should do these tests by monthly. I think your powers might just be fluctuating with the ordinary solar cycles, and Batman's like, I disagree. The cellular decay is consistent with radiation poisoning. So this links back to the, the Superman book um, Philip Kennedy uh, Johnson was on. Um, did I say? Did I say? I did. I said Daniel. I, did I say Daniel Johnson rather than Phil Kennedy Johnson? You're thinking of Daniel Warren Johnson, who's Daniel on Warren Better Johnson, Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Sorry, I got myself mixed up there a wee bit. Philip Kennedy Johnson, and uh, you know, it, it it harks back to that book with the. I think we were talking uh, last week about the breach that uh, Superman and John fought, and that that John uh, has realised that you know, in his time in the future, that his his dad, the story of his dad just sort of disappears and and that so there's a there's a lovely scene between uh between jonathan and uh, and damien uh, who we'll be talking about and again in just a wee moment and and them sharing you know and them sharing their experiences their other fathers you know and uh, and how things are uh damien obviously has done runned off and uh <laughs> and uh and john is is talking about how he, he potentially has to start thinking about about replacing his his father but but yeah uh, and that all is set against the the backdrop of uh an attack from warward uh the attack of uh of uh, mongol isn't it mm-hmm. is the is the lord of of, uh, of warward and i don't think i've ever seen mongol quite so he's a character who tends to i guess fall into the dark side thanos sort of and he's a wee bit. He's never. He never seems to have kind of risen above that too much, you know. He's uh, but uh, really to see him defined here and to see, you know, the the uh, the relationship between a, a previous Mongol and and himself. And this is the son who has killed the father. So this is like Mongol Junior who is off his dad. You know, you couldn't tell the difference if you were looking at them. But uh, but they make a really good point in that. And uh, so yeah, I'm I'm really uh, yeah really enjoying it. Um. And, and how it's linking to linking to everything. This is a fairly good uh, it's a fairly good jumping on point, I would say, for for action comics. And then, in the backup story, then we've got Midnighter, which was also the backup story in uh, Words at War or whatever it was, the the Future State. And uh, so, you know, your guy from the Authority, he's he's got a, a story going on. I have to say, the Midnighter story backing up action comics is a wee bit incongruous. I'm not, I'm not. Loving it, I have mm-hmm. to say. Despite the upcoming Grant Morrison Superman Authority crossover, uh, it's just not doing too much for me. But uh, the main story is is jam packed with great art and great story, um, and very very enjoyable. And this uh, is also, I would say, a jumping on point for Action Comics. If you wanted to, if you wanted to hop on there, uh, Action Comics one zero three zero might be the job for you. Cool. So, Action Comics ten thirty there. Uh, as Keith says, a good jumping on point. I I remember ten twenty nine and 
Superman 29, I think it was, was sort of a two-parter story leading into this. So Action Comics will be the main series that uh, Philip Kenny Johnson's on now with Tom Taylor soon taking over Superman with Superman's Son of Kal-El, which uh, we chatted about on the previous podcast this month. So another title that is doing it for me so far, I have to say, is Teen Titans Academy. So we were very glowing about the first issue and I thought issue two was another great one as well. Even if issue two did basically show that Dick Grayson is a dirty dog, terrible, terrible behavior as he is uh, spending the night with Starfire, <laughs> even though he is uh, clearly madly in love with Barbara still in the main Nightwing title. But well, I mean, Dick and Dick and and Coriander have uh, have a long-standing, a very long-standing um, history on again, off again relationship as well. Now, I mean, I my my heart would lie with Barbara for for Dick uh, definitely. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, I don't think he's, he's not doing anything <laughs> wrong. It's not illegal. But I mean, I mean, as the joke was made in this one, you know, Dick's not a young man anymore. You know, he can't play the field like this. There's a great part where Dick uh, basically is. So the so the crux of this is obviously Red X is being a uh, a villain that's being in, introduced, and the big central mystery is who Red X is. But Red X actually infiltrates Teen Titans Academy here, and Dick comes across him downloading files in a room that looks strangely like the. Uh, xavier's room from uh x-men i thought mm-hmm. uh the x-men movie where he puts on what's it called again cerebro cerebro that's exactly it. this is why you're mr marvel but yeah <laughs> a, a, a great chase scene ensues and he's well ahead of dick or he or she i should say and dick uses uh, a fire hose to jump down but then the fire hose breaks and uh, a new character we've been introduced to called bolt catches him and she goes, you should be more careful at your age, Mr. Nightwing. And he's like, my, what? <laughs> that was, uh, I mean, it's, it's actually, it's kind of funny because, you know, he does this. He grabs this fire hose and throws himself off the off the balcony and on the way down. You can see, uh, um, oh, what do you call her, Wonder, Wonder Girl. Yeah. Um, and uh, she's like, the hose is too long. You're going to hit the... <laughs> so it's not that it breaks, it's that he just misjudges the length of it. <laughs> but uh, yeah really really enjoyable book uh, I just thought it was it, it's you know there's there's some world building here within the academy and there's the mystery as the Red X is making his moves or their moves rather and uh, yeah there's there, there's a lot for everybody in here I think uh, fans of the Titans fans of, of, of new young heroes we're discovering them and their relationship to existing heroes if there are any and there's a wee bit of intrigue uh, who do you think? Uh, well, uh, I suppose you don't really, you don't really uh, need to know. Um, but the uh, the phone call is from uh, to Bolt to Bolt's phone is from someone called A W, and I think by the end of the episode, we're uh, the issue we're understanding who those initials are. Yeah, very much so. I mean, you you get that last page, which is. Crossing over, I mean, DC are starting to do this a bit more as well. I mean, I find with Marvel titles, they're a little better at doing this in terms of crossing over titles, being in the same world, that kind of thing. I mean, obviously a lot of Marvel titles are set in New York, so maybe that's easier to do. But this issue ends with the reveal of the Suicide Squad getting involved. And it's the Suicide Squad from the newest lineup, which uh, incorporates Connor Kent, Peacemaker and Talon. Uh, so this, that's how this issue ends. So they're starting to cross over these books a little bit more than they have before. I think I still think the creation of that omniverse is the best thing DC have done in years because there was no this continuity, that continuity. It was essentially, look, if anything happened in the past, it happened. And it's all part of one big universe, essentially. And I think that's the smartest thing they did. Whether that was the new editor coming on board, Marie Yavins, if she's the... If, 
if she's who we have to give the credit for here it's i think it's working wonders and and this is just a really cool obviously the central mystery is really dark in this with this character red x but it just feels like a lighter DC. It feels like a DC book from yesteryear. You know, the chemistry between the Titans, mm-hmm. the the awe that the students have for these teachers, and but also their desire to be better. And some of the art is fantastic. I mean, I love this big double-page spread outside of Teen Titans Academy, showing all of the students because they've all been, you know, called together by the teachers and they're all having all these different rumors. Why are we here? Maybe they're putting us in the roster. Maybe they're closing the school <laughs> down. Whatever happened, you did it, not me. You know, it's it's just a really cool book, and it's quite different to the stuff DC's got out at the moment. So it is. I mean, I would if if you haven't read the first issue, I would be jumping to find the first issue. Yeah, uh, for sure. But this is this is a really good, a, a fantastic follow up. I don't think any other book is handling it. It's, it's something that I think DC does better than marvel that marvel's only catching up on now is legacy heroes so what you've got here is the teen titans who are legacy heroes you know nightwing um coriander all of those you know heroes who are following on from from other older heroes yeah you know the teen titans were were the junior justice league and uh you know then these even younger heroes now are, are involved i think so i think i think there's no other book that's doing the legacy of the dc universe in, in quite the same way um, but yeah, very, very entertaining. Uh, really, really enjoying it. Really enjoying it. And we, I think we neglected to mention that the writer is Tim Sheridan and the artist is Rafa Sandoval. Yeah. Uh, the book both runs well and, and looks well. Very much so. And so that's Teen Titans Academy number two, which as you just specified, Tim Sheridan on writing and Rafa Sandoval on art. And then one last honorable mention for DC any other week, this probably would have been my pick of the week. But my pick of the week this week is very much uh, is very much because of my excitement that a series returning that I'm a huge, huge fan of, and it didn't disappoint. But this would have been very close to it. I upsold the heck out of this in the last week and a half, and so many people jumped on, and every single person's added it to their pull list. I think we've still a couple of number ones left, but get on this so this is robin number one so this is joshua williamson so on writing duty straight away you know it's going to be good uh the artist is gleb melnikoff who's uh, an up-and-coming artist and definitely has shades of capullo about him and this is basically a pastiche of one of your favorite movies case so you were always going to love this as well yeah, absolutely this is this is uh <laughs> damien wayne does enter the dragon i mean what more uh, do you need to know it's, uh, yeah it's uh it's great uh really enjoying uh really enjoyed enjoyed it well i didn't feel like it was the first issue because we had a backup story yeah uh, and you know, batman 10, it was batman 106 and detective 1034 so there was two sort of 10 page stories setting this up but it is still very much a jumping on point but yeah it's, it's nice to have that wee backup stuff but and i mean i guess the gist is damien has learned of the league of lazarus and their tournament and he has a new mission and that's to win that tournament tournament and prove he's the greatest fighter in the dc universe um so he's this is you know this the book tracks him finding tracking down the the secret island and uh you know i guess he's forging his own path a wee bit uh, away from both the both the the bat and the demon side of his family um so there's i think there's some new characters in here uh some cool mysteries you know it's it's very very cool it's it's a a nice combination of action and thriller and but it definitely it definitely evoked i mean both the plot and the feel of of into the dragon for me um but uh it's a bit of a shock ending as well 
Yeah, I mean, one of my favorite things about the book, and you'll you'll excuse this terrible pun, but it has a lot of heart as well. I mean, I love that <laughs> Damien is still getting over the death of Alfred. You know, I don't think he realized what an influence Alfred was in his life until he's gone, and and Damien feels responsible. I mean, if anyone hasn't read the the previous issues, but during Tom Keane's Batman run, Bane had essentially occupied Gotham, and he said if any Bat family tried to initiate some sort of rescue attempt because he was holding Alfred hostage, that he would kill Alfred. And Damien, of course, is arrogant. Damien is like, I'll take care of this. This is no problem. And Bane actually kills Alfred in front of him in a really, really horrifying moment. And there's some really nice moments here where you see Damien as a kid. He's sitting reading his manga and, you know, in between all the, you know, fighting and destruction of people's faces. But then he's having this little conversation with, you know, Alfred in his head and... It's just, it, there's there's a lot of good character work here, which we shouldn't be surprised about. You know, Joshua Williamson could do this stuff in his sleep. But then, as I say, the artist I'm, I'm very impressed with, Gleb Melnikov. It's very mm-hmm. dynamic art. It's very fast moving. It even has that old school movie quality to it that, as you say, with Enter the Dragon, you know, I love the, the reveal of Lazarus Island and like that old school font that looks like a movie from the 30s, like King Kong or something yeah. as well. And, and then, yeah. I, I sold this book to a lot of people on the last page. The last page was just like, huh? What? Sort uh-huh. of thing. Um, but yeah, they introduced a new character as well called Flatline in this. So it's it's even a good book for all you speculators out there as well with its uh, multiple first appearances. But forget that. It is just a brilliantly told issue. Yeah, yeah. Brilliantly set to scene. Yeah, and, and looks, looks gorgeous. And the, the scene they have with Damien sitting reading... His his manga, uh, waiting for uh, waiting for your man to, to turn up and having his wee uh, vision of Alfred. Um, I think that's that's cool as well. You know, they do three or four panels of uh, of the manga that that he's uh, reading. That yeah. he's reading, uh, and it's black and white, and it's in that that style. It's very very good. Um, and yeah, Joshua Williamson is just is just one of the best around. Um, and he is also he's the he's the guiding force behind uh, Infinite Frontier. Yeah. Um, he's very much, uh, you know, he's got a, a two or three year plan. Um, and he's, yeah, great job. Absolutely great job. Uh, jump on that one. Yeah. Sure. A good, great combination of action and story and, uh, thriller. And it just, it just looks great. It just looks great. Yep. So again, that is Robin number one, Joshua Williamson and Gleb Melnikoff on that one. So, that is it pretty much for the DC Honorable Mentions. So I hope you are bored of the sound of my voice right now because you're about to hear a lot of Keith now. So <laughs> I'll let you take it away in the Honorable Mentions for Marvel. Um, okay, kicking off with the Marvels 1 by uh, Kurt Busiek and uh, Yildre Sinar. Um, it is an all-new ongoing series. And it sort of begins what looks like it's going to be a massive adventure within the, the Marvel Universe. Um the first the first issue has me has me captured i have to say it uh it starts in 1947 and there's a wee bit of all winter squad stuff um certainly they're they're there and then you know it shifts they do an interesting shift so we've talked about you know the the, the problems with marvel's time uh you know and and so it starts in in 1947 but then two pages later the the dating uh, moves from a specific year to 17 years ago and we pick up with uh, with a young Reed Richards and a young Ben Grimm uh, and then we from then on we're 12 years ago and we're chronicling various characters 
and their, uh, I guess, their engagement with the uh, the newly formed, uh, certainly in, in post-war, the newly formed province of, of Sin Kong. Now, Sin Kong is an interesting place in the Marvel Universe because that is the place where initially, you know, whenever Iron Man was, you know, started, it was um, it was Vietnam that he had been injured mm-hmm. and the Punisher had fought in Vietnam, but it quickly became a nonsense, you know, because the Vietnam War happened at a certain time. So they've created this province, this country of Sin Kong, this free state of Sin Kong, and that's where all of these things happened. You know, the the Vietnam War was the Sin Kong War, and then we don't have to give a date to it, uh, you know, that sort of way. Um, so, yeah, so we quickly, we jumped from the all-winner squad uh, in the first two, first, here inside the first two pages, to a young Reed Richards and Ben Grimm, to Daredevil, uh, to... Uh, Daredevil and Flash Thompson, uh, twelve years ago, and then seven years ago to the the Avengers, uh, Iron Man and Thor, and then to ten days from now to Captain America, who is uh, he's on a Wakanda design group transport in near Earth orbit, orbit, and uh, he's uh, he's standing uh, with a shield in his back and a wee bit of a of a, a halo drop suit, and he's reading um, he's reading Return of the King. <laughs> as he's standing hydrating waiting to, waiting to go for a, a high altitude drop a halo drop uh, into the, the Socialist Republic of uh, Xi'an Kong uh, but there's some great Captain America action in here and uh, yeah just some just some fantastic stuff but then the group that Captain America assembles around him is really interesting so we've got Captain America who is he's now facing up against Lady Lotus and uh, he summons his allies and what a what a group it is! Storm, Iron Man, Black Cat, Human Torch, the original nineteen uh, forties Vision, and a couple of characters who I don't recognise. Um, so Which in itself co- is shocking. Yeah, it's yeah. So uh, they yeah. Well, sorry, one of them one of them is Arrow, uh, but there's a couple there. There's a couple there that I just don't uh, I just don't recognise. So it's. The, the buzz line for this is anyone, anywhere, anytime. The Marvel Universe, from before the Big Bang to beyond the end of time. From the Avengers to the X-Men, from uh, Arcus to Zax, from the Kree Empire to the Dark Dimensions and into the Unknown, it ranges vast and deep, and there have been adventures too big for any one series until now. So this is, yeah, this just really this just really has it, um, I think. Kurt Busiek, you know, we, we know Kurt's lineage, there's... It's in safe hands here, um, and we're we're introduced to a character called who goes by the name of Kashum, and uh, he seems to be this guy who has this. He has one of the Avengers or one of the, the old Fantastic Four's flying bathtubs, and he seems to take people on superhero tours around New York. But there's you know where he where he is involved in all this. He gets involved in a Punisher. And a Punisher thing, and there's a there's a, a villain that looks very much like David Bowie, but there's a lot going on. It's a really good debut. It's it, it, it's the sort of thing that you know if you've got such a wide ranging universe as the Marvel universe or the DC universe, why not try and play in as many sandpits as possible? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and if you've got the pull that Kurt has, then you know he's certainly the guy to do it. But uh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely fantastic stuff. There's a there's a through line right through all of those things we talked about, and uh, I would be uh, I would be picking this up if I were you. I hope you uh, hope you do enjoy it whenever you get a chance to, to look at it. But this is the 
this is the it's the adventure and the humanity and the heart that fuels the Marvel universe. Um, and I'm really looking for. I'm really interested to see where it's going next. Yeah, I do have a copy of this set aside, so I am looking forward to it. Marvels was one of those ones that you know, one of those gaps in my collections that I'd never read, and uh, you were nice enough to throw your your graphic my way, and it's just I always refer to Marvels as marvel's answer to watchmen it's it's an absolute masterpiece that encapsulates the universe brilliantly so i'm looking forward to this as you said it's in good hands kurt Busiek, the original writer of that and then you've got those gorgeous alex ross covers as well even if he's not doing the interior arts but looking forward to that so that's marvel's number one uh the next issue is one that i'm glad you continued on with as i obviously spoke very highly of issue one and you know i i knew it would be the kind of book you would like but it's always nice to hear that anyway so this is uh on the number two then so better ray bill don't spoil it for me too much i certainly i certainly <laughs> won't so better ray bill uh number two uh argent star part two of five uh by daniel warren johnson and uh, mike spicer on the art and Bitter A. Bell is an interesting character. Um, he is a Corbinite, and to protect his people from Surtur, the fire god, he was transformed into a, like a powerful cyborg that was kind of looked like a horse. And he encountered Thor, and he he was worthy, and was able to lift Mjolnir, and uh, that sort of uh, put him on on uh, Odin's good side. And Odin made him Stormbreaker, and Stormbreaker, like with Thor, allowed. Peter Ray Bill to uh, slap it in the ground and return to his his humanoid form from the the horse cyborg that he's transformed into. So in recent Donny Cates, um, well, it was it was Jason Arn, was it? Jason Arn made Thor the All Father, didn't he? Before before Cates took over, yeah. yes, before Cates took over. So uh, Thor's now the All Father, and he had a bit of a Barney with Peter Ray Bill. Uh, ended up breaking Stormbreaker and. Uh, that took away Bill's ability to transform back into his humanoid form. Uh, they got friendly again, uh, but still that didn't bring back Stormbreaker. So, um, Bitter Bill has been living on, on Asgard and he had a wee bit of a, a romantic evening with uh, Lady Sif and that was sort of ended unceremoniously because of the presumption that he would turn back into his humanoid form and his horse-like form isn't I guess, uh, I guess beauty's in the eye of the beholder, but it certainly isn't what you would consider classically good looking. Um, and Lady Sif didn't. <laughs> and so Bill has taken to the stars, trying to find Odin and trying to find a, a new hammer. And uh, this is just, it's such a good, it's such a good series. It really is. Um, first issue, I'm glad you put me onto it. Uh, and because I, I initially wasn't onto it, and you, you mentioned it there about a month ago when I, I picked it up, and I'm, I'm just loving the direction they're going. Uh, so we get to see Bill hunting to track down Odin, and uh, and there's another surprise development. Uh, a character as a character arrives that we weren't. I certainly wasn't expecting. Uh, we know that uh, we know that Odin hasn't been. Well, we know from Donny Kate's run that Odin has sort of fallen on hard times a wee bit. Um, but yeah, we start to we start to bring things together. Uh, we start to bring a team together, and we look at we now see the direction that the the book is going. The the storytelling in the book is fantastic. The art, including this fantastic cross section of Scuttlebutt, which is which is Peter A. Bill's sentient ship, uh, is just beautiful. 
Um, I had to point this out to Alan in store. And if you've got this issue uh, and you flick, uh, you flick to the, the second page, there's a double page spread of, of this cutaway of, uh, of, of Scuttlebutt. And if you look right down at the very bottom, you'll see Peter A. Bill and Scuttlebutt has a room full of long boxes of comics. Um, which it just uh, had me had me in stitches. In addition to a whole lot of other cool stuff, but uh, but yeah, this is this is a phenomenal book. Uh, two issues in, and I'm really really enjoying it. Um, there's a nice a nice end to this particular uh, issue, and I'm I'm just really looking forward to seeing uh, seeing where it's going. Yeah, very much looking forward to digging in. I naively brought some comics with me to the store, thinking I might get a 15 minutes here, 20 minutes there to sit and read, but. Uh... Again, it's a it's a testament of how busy it's been. I haven't had a chance, but as Keith said, when he was in, he I did have Better A Build Two there, and we did have to open it up just for that two page spread of Scuttlebutt, and we we quite enjoyed breaking it down. I think there's even a panel, like there's a a, a comic book writer in there somewhere who's chained up in a room with like no exit from it and all sorts. But it's a lot of fun. I I love details like that and things that give you the the extra reason to sit and like read through an issue and really pay attention to the details. So. But yeah, if issue two is anywhere near as good as issue one, uh, I think we're in we're in safe hands. And there. I kind of there was something in me whenever I saw that writer, uh, you know, sitting down at the table. I thought, I bet you that's Walt Simonson, <laughs> <laughs> the original creator himself. Yeah, so absolutely. yeah, so that's better. Right, Bill number two, and uh, then we we'll may as well finish off with uh, the usual trip to a galaxy far, far away, and your usual monthly attempt to get me to read Star Wars. Yeah. Um... Star Wars Darth Vader number 11 uh, by uh, by Greg Pak and Raphael Ayenko. Um It is just brilliant. It's just action and really interesting places and loads of possibilities. Uh, we find ourselves on the planet Exegol, which I think was featured at the very end of Rise of Skywalker. So this is sort of joining the, uh, as Darth Vader has been doing early on in the run, it was it was weaving tissue between the classic trilogy and the the prequel trilogy, and now it's weaving tissue between the classic trilogy and the sequel trilogy. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it just is it, it's doing it so well. So it, you know this is this is set between Empire and Jedi, and you know we're seeing Vader running the gauntlet, running the Empire's gauntlet. The the, the Emperor has is testing him. Uh, you know, for against, I guess he sees his betrayal. He's foreseen his betrayal, and he's he's testing him and and, and trying to break him. And it's just been it's been called into the fire the entire arc. And I think it's run since I think it's been running since issue six. And it's just going to make a great uh, a great trade paperback. So we uh, we finally have uh, Vader encounter the Emperor on, on Exegol, and he rides in here in the back of this giant alien beast that he has cowed and. Uh, and we quickly see why the emperor is is as powerful as as he is, um, and just as as horrible and, and evil as he is. Um, but yeah, very very enjoyable, very enjoyable. Greg Pak is doing great stuff in this. I'm really looking forward to War of the Bounty Hunters. Yeah, the first issue of that kicked off this week. Star Wars War of the Bounty Hunters Alpha, and then it's going to be this crossover event taking in. Dr. Afra taking in uh, Darth Vader, taking in the main title as well. So if you're a Star Wars fan, definitely keep an eye out for that. So yeah, that's pretty much the Marvel side of things. A few honorable mentions then for Indy. Uh, another title I thought was exceptional this week, and for me definitely the best issue of this series so far, was crossover number six. 
So this is the title from Donny Cates and Jeff Shaw on art and D. Knuff on colors, who I think definitely deserves a mention in this issue because the colors are fantastic. So crossover this is the the end of the first arc so it is and of course this is the throw everything at the wall and see what sticks kind of issue and we're starting to see the meaning of what crossover means i think here you are starting to see the integration of we've seen a few characters integrated so far but this was very much the this almost felt like a skybound x kind of thing you know the the celebration mm -hmm. of image a little bit there's a, a wonderful part in this where uh the main characters so you have ellie you have otto the old man as well and there's this beautiful part where Otto doesn't have his glasses on. They basically make it inside the dome. And he doesn't have his glasses on. He goes, wait, I can't see. And it's this blurry image. And then he puts his glasses on and you turn that double page spread. And it is like an absolute <laughs> love letter to not only image comics, but Dark Horse comics, interestingly. There's quite a few yeah, Dark yeah. Horse characters in here. But certainly just to spoil a few ones that are on this uh, double page spread, you know. Flick forward 30 seconds if you don't want spoilers, but I see Tony Chu there at the bottom from Chu. We have zombies from The Walking Dead. We have Luther Strode, bottom right from the legacy of Luther Strode. We have Savage Dragon in the middle. We have Witchblade up to the top left. We have uh, the main character from I Hate Fairyland in there. Uh, I was wondering if that was Battle Beast from Invincible or not. Uh, yeah, I, I think so. I think that's that's Battle Beast. I think the darkness is over there as well. Yep. Um, Spawn is over there too. Um, and up there on the back right-hand side is Battle Pope. Robert Kirkman's Battle Pope. Yeah, and, the, and there's definitely a couple that are, are homages, shall we say, to popular Marvel and DC characters. That's definitely a Galactus-esque character in the background with a Hulk-esque character jumping at him by the look of it. There... And, the, uh, and the Fantastic Four in the flying bathtub behind him. Yeah, and then you also have, if you look top left, in Shadow, you have the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in <laughs> yep. Shadow. Probably just enough that they won't get sued. Um, the one character I thought was conspicuous by the absence, especially given the current popularity, was Invincible. Uh, obviously, there's a little mm. reference further along to Invincible, but... But the whole way through this book, there's references all over the place. You know, you turn the page of a character from Black Hammer, Dark Horse series. You've got a character from Wicked and Divine there at the bottom. You have the usual Donny Kate selling tool of Buzzkill coming into it, the alcoholic superhero. Mm -hmm. And of course, we have a, uh, a character that Otto proclaims to be the best day of his life as he sees the character in front of him, which I kept rhyming at vicky to read this because hit girl showed up <laughs> and that was just a really really cool moment um, as well what i do love is that the zombies are all black and white yeah i thought that was a really the, cool the, touch as well the, the, the original walking dead was black and white the zombies are all black and white so yeah this is the end of the first arc kids love uh, chains yes and ends on a wee bit of a a wee bit of a shocker uh i thought it was a great a great end and i agree with you this this last couple of this, issues of this series had were starting to lose me a wee bit. Mm -hmm. um, I was starting to I was starting to lose interest a wee bit. But this wraps up the sto the, the 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 first arc, you know, in a really really strong way. Uh, lovely conclusion. No idea where he's going to take it next. Yeah. Uh, not a clue. But uh, but what he's done here has made sure that I'm going to stay on it rather than than not. Um, well, what, sure, I, so. what I find interesting is in the credits at the back, obviously, of Donny Kitt's story, Jeff Shaw Art, an interesting little credit there, Mark Wade, Story Edits. 
So I wonder if Mark Wade is just uh, shepherding a little bit this title as well with Donny Cates. Uh, obviously a man who knows how to juggle a few universes. Uh, but what's really interesting as well with crossover is, so this was the end of the first arc, but at the end of the issue you get that uh, you get that almost little trailer for issue 7, which has Donny Cates' name scratched out and Chip Zdarsky's name written instead. <laughs> Jeff Shaw's name scratched out and Phil Hester on art instead. And you have that poster of missing Chip Zdarsky. Uh, I love how it says Chip Zdarsky quotes Steve Murray, which is his real name. Yes. Uh, last seen, uh, Comic Con 2016, Artist Alley. <laughs> so yeah, the only the only thing I had about the only negative thing I have to say about this, and it's it's such a weird complaint in a way because we complain all the time that adverts break up issues. You know, certainly from the big two, DC and Marvel, they put their issues through the series. I was enjoying this so much and I was like, oh, I've still about 15 pages of this to go. And then the last 10 pages are all ads. So there's just no satisfying us comic fans, whether you're putting the adverts through the series or you're putting them at the end. So, but yeah, love this issue. And uh, again, I think you're right. I think this is, there were a couple of guys in store who were not losing interest, but it was losing them a wee bit. And I think this is an issue that's definitely brought them back. So crossover at number six first trade will be on the way very very soon for that as well if you're playing catch up uh the next one is uh, an issue that we normally need patty on for to chat about more uh we had department of truth eight hit this week uh so of course coming from the writing of james tinney in the fourth you had series artist and creator back on with this issue which martin simmons after the the two issues interludes i know i'm gonna have to read this a second time because i read this pretty late at night and I very much enjoyed it, but I can't remember a thing about it, which is Ooh. terrible. Uh, we have Cole Turner. So we're back. We're back after after the interludes, the two issue interlude. Uh, we're back in the main story again. As uh, Cole Turner is still, uh, I guess he's still processing the information which he was given a couple of issues ago from Barger, which doesn't necessarily seem to be inaccurate. Uh, that he may not be on the right side that the department of truth may not be the good guys and that's what he's struggling with so he and his partner is it uh ruby um are sent out to denver airport which is in conspiracy circles is a notorious airport there's a whole lot of conspiracy theories about denver airport you know denver had a perfectly good airport why would you build one that is both smaller and has less runways and is you know 25 miles outside of town and there's all these apparently there's all these weird um statues and friezes and stuff that you know so so it's a it's a it's a center a conspiracy center anyway but but they're sent out there to they have a lead in how black hat are manifesting certain stories and certain fictions the way this is done really it really resonates with once and future actually in a, in a different way and we were introduced to another uh, another big player in the in the department so it's like it's like james tinian is is slowly casting light on the department of truth but you know while he's casting light over here the shadows are deepening over there and you know so you're getting nearly as many you get answers but you're getting nearly as many questions as you get answers so we start off back in 1987 with uh, lee harvey oswald and we're introduced to uh to hawk harrison uh back then and he's uh we're not exactly sure who he is but he's definitely he's someone of he's someone of power and uh you know, then we we're brought up to date, and uh, we see the man in the black helicopter who is uh, an older man, but he's wearing the same uh, stars and stripes baseball cap that Hawk Harrison was wearing whenever he met Harvey Oswald, and 
1987. And there, there's a through line, you know, you've got Hawk Harrison wearing this Stars and Stripes cap, and then we see him years later with the Stars and Stripes cap sitting beside him, and then the Stars and Stripes are, are on uh, Cole Turner's uh, Coke can, uh, you know, as he's as he's going over all this stuff and and, and 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 I guess ruminating and trying to figure out if he's the good guy. But you know, it's we're sort of we're a lot of the things. Some some things are revealed about the Department of Truth and how they operate and how they need to operate and why they need to keep their heads clear and and all of this sort of stuff. But but yeah, there's some some great references in here. You know, the McMartin preschool trials and and uh, all of the Denver airport stuff and. We're, you know, we call back to the, the the first arc and the first issue, and you know we have Ruby and Cole discussing how deep the rabbit hole goes, and as they're discussing how deep the rabbit hole goes, you know they're maybe manifesting because they're at this center of Black Hat, they're maybe manifesting some of the fictions and the conspiracies that they're imagining, because as we know the core, the central concept of this is that if enough people believe a thing hard enough, it becomes real. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is uh, scary in itself, and uh, and that's when we learn a wee bit about we learn a wee bit about about Hawk Harrison. He's the guy that I guess he seems to be the, the the counter storyteller. You know, he has to go out and put out stories of other things to make sure you know that that reality stays together. So it's uh, it's it's interesting. It's it's a new arc, more questions, interesting new character, uh, just. Twisting reality and just—I <laughs> mean, Tinian's writing combined with the the kind of slightly disturbing, slightly jarring uh, Simmons art. I just think it's a perfect combination. Really impactful, really impactful. But uh, yeah, great, uh, great story. Um, and uh, I think Department of Truth always needs two reads anyway. Yeah, that's probably pretty accurate in fairness. I think you're almost reading it once to read the story and then you want to go back a second time just for the art, as you say, rather than following the words, so to speak, because Simmons' art is superb in it. And I, I'm more than happy with the whole idea of different artists for, you know, fill-in stories and one-shots and things like that. But you want Simmons on the main storyline, I think, at all times. It just it just elevates it that little bit more. So, um, so yeah, I'll be definitely giving it a, a second read along with the rest of my pull list that i haven't got to yet but yeah. <laughs> uh another thing on my pull list that i haven't got to yet but i very much enjoyed the first two issues of was two moons so we're hitting issue three now this week uh you've got this done as an honorable mention i believe yes sir it just keeps getting better um issue one was brilliant issue two was better issue three is is better than that it just continues to explain more about what's happening in this world and you know, it's it's in a way that Department of Truth isn't. It's it's really answering those questions. Um, we've got uh, Virgil, who is Two Moons, who is of uh, of Native American descent. Um, he's escaped hanging and he's headed back to the to the town and he's confronted the nurse that was uh, kind to him before, but she's nearly convinced that he's a killer. Uh, and uh, and yeah, but he's he's fighting a battle. Two Moons is he's fighting a battle that no one else can see no one else is privy to and you know the rest of the world thinks he's losing his mind or he's he's on magic mushrooms because he literally is those those plants are allowing him to to see the the supernatural world around him and and, and understand what's going on um so while they think he's crazy 
uh, and losing his mind. He's actually trying to, he's actually the hero, you know. Um, so it just, yeah, it just twists and turns in this book. Really, uh, really enjoying it um, and, and seeing the character develop. Uh, and it just, every, every issue just seems to end with poor Virgil either with a noose around his neck or with a gun pointed at him. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, but it's, it's so good. There's, there's like a nip of uh, Red Dead Redemption in here. There's a nip of Doctor Strange. Um, uh, yeah, it's got a, it's got a whole lot going on, and uh, it's only three issues in. Uh, John Arcudi is the writer, and uh, Valerio Gian Giordano whew, uh, on art. Perfectly just pronounced. Making it look, uh, making it look fantastic. Um, so just just beautiful art throughout. The the characters, the the horror elements are all really stunning to look at. So nothing to complain about in this book. Um, and a fairly original, fairly original sort of cast of characters, and and a fairly original uh, period piece as well. Mm-hmm. Set against the backdrop of the Civil War. Um, yeah, very enjoyable. Very enjoyable. Nice, so two moons number three there, and then we're going to finish off with one last honourable mention. We kicked off our honourable mentions with the amazing art of Dan Mora. We're going to finish our honourable mentions with the amazing art of Dan Mora, except this time it is his uh, Boom series, along with Kieran Gillen, Once in Future, Tamara Bond villain on Colours. Again, always worth a mention when it comes to Once in Future. This is a, an issue that clearly shows that Kieran Gillen hates Boris Johnson and uh, the Conservative government. But beyond that, it's all right thinking man. Beyond that, it's also probably my favorite issue of Once in Future so far, along with issue 10, of course, because of that hot fuzz moment. But this issue uh-huh. was incredible, and it's taken the st- it's given the story a fresh leash of life. It has taken it in a really interesting direction with worlds melding together, so to speak. This issue was absolutely stunning. So it was, you have your your massive action denouement at the end. I love that it kicks off with its trademark humor. You know, you have Bridget and um, Duncan on top of a dragon. Duncan says, make a breathe fire. And Bridget's like, yes, of course, Duncan. I'll just press the breathe fire button uh, <laughs> as they're having their big showdown. But but yeah, so you get all your your, your standard fantasy adventure stuff, which is, which is all brilliantly put together. But then you start to get the slowdown and the, the hero starting to relax and Bridget starting to look a bit more like an old woman back in the old woman's home. And, oh, yes, this is nice. There's like twice as many people still awake at this time as there are normally, that kind of thing. But I'm going to let you take it away from here in those uh, in those pages that start with Downing Street, London and culminate uh, with probably a, a panel that Dan Mora very much enjoyed drawing. Oh, I would, I would, I would imagine so. I mean, there's, there's been a role in this. I mean, and, and we should point out that this is the end of the current arc of Once in Future, and the aftermath here is setting up something uh, incredibly different. I think very uh, much a different, so. a, a different direction. Um, but yeah, there is a role for for Britain's uh, Prime Minister here, and uh, Dan Mora is is definitely uh, using the current. Uh, prick in number ten uh, as the as the model for uh, for this. Uh, his silhouettes are incredible. Year. He somehow captures him perfectly in his silhouettes. Yeah. The only thing is, he's a lot more clever in the comic, um, so that wouldn't be terribly difficult. But they really, they really nail the uh, the arrogance and the elitism 
uh, for sure. But uh, well, but you yeah, say it's... you say he's more clever, but he's being briefed, and uh, the the guy, the one he's talking to, even says, "Oh, Prime Minister, I'm surprised to see you working so late. It's New Year's Eve. I thought you'd have parties and similar." And his retort is, "I do, <laughs> but I'm looking for a certain <laughs> something in the big year, important times, huh?" Yeah, it's uh, it's, but yeah, it's just that looking looking for something to to give him the leg up but he thinks that that's something to give him the leg up is revealing to the great british public uh about the war that's been going on the secret war that that bridget and her her family have been fighting for for generations against the stories against uh you know and he's uh he thinks it's it's sickening like it's how he he wants to I mean he wants to be Churchill and in order to be Churchill he needs a war to fight yeah uh you know to give him that glory and uh, as he reveals it you know that that the whole thing is about the whole war the secret war that they have been fighting is about keeping uh, the knowledge away from from the public because like Department of Truth you know once that is revealed the the general public are like a are like a nuclear bomb their belief yeah. It's, it's like a nuclear bomb. It's and, like opening uh, Pandora's box, and once it's open, yeah, you can't shut it again. Exactly, and you know we had Arthur and Camelot. You know, finished Merlin, finished, and then with that one, with that one, just ignorant, arrogant, uh, power-hungry proclamation. Proclamation. He undoes it all. He undoes and it all. Gives them more and, power and, than ever. Yeah, exactly, and 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 has his head torn off as a result so there's always a positive um you know but uh, yeah such a such a such a such a conclusion uh, i mean this this would have been my pick of the week easily if uh, if it hadn't been the week of a of another certain release um yeah i mean uh, they must have had great fun with this and kieran gillen doesn't doesn't make any <laughs> you know he doesn't make any bones about um his his political beliefs you know he started this with uh, I guess, you know, a lot of things representing the, uh, I guess, negative side of British nationalism and the, that that savagery and that um, entitlement, you know, and and he he's come right back round to that again, um, but in a way that I don't think any of us were expecting. <laughs> yeah, and the best thing is that, that I'm so glad that Bridget is still around for this. You know, she she very much encapsulates the horror of what is being revealed as well. You know, she's screaming at the television you know just with pure fear and panic you know as he's announcing to the world what this secret war as you say is happening but she comes across as a wee bit defeated at the end you know obviously defiant as well but you know just the whole like oh where are you going smoke you know all this kind of she's looking really glum she even says to duncan i really did want to retire you know but she knows that this is always going to be her fight and as you say it's just it's going to push the series in a really interesting new direction and the possibilities are endless for it. I mean, if if you remember back when Once in Future was first solicited, it was one of six. And now, we're at, eight, and now we're at 18, and the whole world has literally completely opened up for where this series can go. Yeah, there's so many avenues. And now we're, now we're familiar with our, our three main characters. You know, we've been following them for a year and a half. And uh, so this is just it totally has switched it up. Um, yeah, there's no worry about this series going cold you know what i mean because they've just they have just <laughs> really just, just turned on the gas <laughs> yeah absolutely so this is yeah this is this is fantastic just not just 
yeah, the story, the I guess the the allegories for modern modern politics and and all of that stuff. It was just it was just such a such a good issue, such a good issue. And I mean, I'm I'm really interested in Duncan's mother, Mary Maguire. Yeah. Um, you know, we've seen we've and, and more more recently we've seen her fleshed out a wee bit more, and we've seen her slightly tragic past, well, fairly tragic past, and. The, the relationship with her mother and you know what what will she you know she's the villain she was the villain at the start leading the you know whenever they were trying to find Excalibur she was she was Merlin's go-between and, and all of that stuff but I'm wondering I'm wondering are we going to start seeing her as a wee bit of a a wee bit of a redemptive character you know yeah I was thinking that as well I think she'll eventually come over to their side you know there's there's a few parts parts in certainly in this story where she looks, you know, proper evil. But you can, Dan Mora's art is so good you can almost read regret in her eyes at certain times uh, when she's faced that, off against Merlin. You know, don't forget that Mary has all of these different uh, roles. You know, she has the the Guinevere role or not? Yeah, Guinevere. She has the uh, Nimue role um, and 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 all of these different roles that have been forced upon her uh, by the choices that her mother has made to to fight this fight mm-hmm. in this way um yeah it's 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 very very good i think i think i think we'll see where we go and i love the i loved how they escaped the uh, the bath yeah the, the hot the boiling hot bath was the connection between that and the, the boiling hot well at at camelot and all she did was cool it down and then there was no longer that link i thought that was that was class it was no longer the room that uh that uh that the other world was looking for. Um, yeah, brilliant stuff. Brilliant stuff. I guess this is going to be going on a wee bit of a break now for a while, Alan, is it? Yeah, it looks like it's going to be August before it comes back. So, as you stated, this is the end of the arc. So, you'll be getting Trade Paperback Volume 3 hitting soon. So, we'll, we'll certainly have all three trades in store. And then it will make a return at at the moment it looks like it's going to be august 2021 it will come back so but don't worry you'll be able to fill that kieran gillen shaped hole in your life this week when the latest issue of die comes out but i'm getting ahead of myself there when uh, <laughs> and our titles to look forward to but before we get to that 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 brings an end obviously to the honorable mentions before we um, get to that if we're that excited about once in the future but we didn't pick it what the hell are those picks of the weekend? <laughs> I think that is a very good point, and it is an image clean sweep as well this week. So, no DC, no Marvel, image clean sweep once again. And you know, I know what my pick of the week is. I know it's something you obviously haven't read, but your pick of the week was was something that we both absolutely loved. So we'll we'll certainly tear into that in a moment. But before we do that, we'll go with my pick of the week. And to be honest. This was always going to be my pick of the week to be, you know, I've waited over a year for this issue to come back. Anybody who knows me, anybody who comes to the store, they all get recommended Deadly Class and I am a huge Deadly Class fan. Uh, So this is a series from Rick Remender on writing duties, Wes Craig on art and Lee Lockridge on colors, Ross Wooten as well on uh, lettering always deserves a mention. Deadly Class just continues to be probably in my top three comics of all time you know there's a reason i have a tattoo for king's dominion on my arm because i just adore this so the the thing for deadly class is just to give you a little bit of background in case you've never heard of it so it it follows a character called marcus lopez it kicks off in 1987 
So first of all, it's a period piece, which I love. You know, there's loads of references to the music of the time, to the to the art movements of the time, to the, the television of the time. And he's essentially at the start of Deadly Class, he's homeless. But he's he's learned how to survive while he's been homeless. And this has caught the eye of uh, Master Lin, who runs a school at King's Dominion, which is uh, for the deadly arts. And it's all about training young, impressionable minds and molding them into assassins to be able to um, do jobs for them all over the world. But so it goes from there. It's, it's very much your, your classic, you know, being in school, being the misfit in school. But also, you know, you, if you work hard, you will be the, the top level. But Deadly Class ended at 44 with a massive betrayal to Marcus and an issue that absolutely killed me, to be honest. I'll not go into full details, but there's a betrayal of a certain character towards Marcus. And then we actually, for the first time in Deadly Class, we do a time jump. So we actually move forward in this, my pick of the week, issue 45. It's the start of a new arc called Savior Generation, so part one, and we do a time jump to 1991. And... Marcus is now living in Arizona. He's dealing drugs, he's partying, he's a couple of years older, and he's trying to forget that past element I was chatting about. And that's what's great about this issue. This is this is literally a catch-up issue with Marcus. It fills in some of that, that pain from the past, some of the regret for some of the things he's been involved with. You know, he, he meets a new girl in this issue. And Marcus as well, he always comes across a bit of a pretentious character. He's one of those you know, music fans that knows all about the new indie, you know, hotspots in town, knows about all the upcoming bands, knows when a band has jumped the shark, that kind of thing. And he has this long conversation with a girl. You know, he even he even has this self-narration of, you know, she's the kind of girl you could live a quiet, happy life with. So, of course, he straight away walks away from her because that's not Marcus's life. He's just a really interesting character. He's a comic book geek as well. He knows his comic book stuff in and out. And as if Deadly Class wasn't already one of my absolute favorite things on the shelf, there's references to Twin... He's watching Twin Peaks in this issue. <laughs> Easy, Tiger. Oh, my God. I was just... I, I think I let out a little squee at that point, you know? But what's really interesting about this issue, and, and one of the great reasons why uh, Rick Remender is such a good storyteller with this, is because... The time jump happens, but he hasn't filled you in on what's happened. There are a couple of uh, flashback scenes, but a lot of it's up in the air. You know, you don't know who from the previous series is still alive, who's dead, what happened in those intervening years. And you know that those are going to be filled in along the way. That's what makes Remender such a good storyteller. He just gives you little breadcrumbs along the way. You know, Marcus is exceptionally talented at killing, and he's still doing it, but he doesn't reveal for who he's doing it. And the issue actually ends with someone trying to kill him in front of this girl who's you know who he's made this sort of connection with it's someone with an irish accent who knows who he is but you've no idea why they've come to to try and kill him is it someone from king's dominion who's come to settle a score is it something from his current life that he's done wrong and made the wrong enemies i mean it's just brilliant but the main reason i love deadly classes as amazing as remainder is and he is one of the absolute best I am just a huge, huge fan of Wes Craig's artwork. Wes Craig, he somehow manages to capture motion better than any other artist on the shelf, I think, at the moment. It's got such a kinetic flow to it. It, it never stops moving. 
you know, it's and it looks so different to every other title that's on the shelf. You know, great use of shadows, great use of reflective swimming pools at places where they're where they're having a chat. There's a great double page spread that's straight out of Marcus's nightmare that has this piercing red sky and dark woods as he's, you know, trying to run away from something. Even if you didn't like the story of this book, it is just a glorious thing to look at and it's always brought brilliantly to life by Lee Lockridge's colours because every page tends to have different colours in the background and so forth. But yeah, I just I, I can't say enough good things about Deadly Class. If you've never been on it, you need to get on it. There, there, there is unfortunately a painful reminder on the back of the book for the TV show, which again, I've never got over the fact that it never got a second season because that first season was perfect. And it looks like it'll never come back, even despite the actors on Twitter always campaigning for it to come back. But I just think that's dead in the water. But what the good thing is, because the TV show was so beholden to the comics and such a good adaptation, where that first season ends, literally picks up in the comics, I think, in issue 12. And then you can continue following these characters. So, yeah, can't say enough good stuff about it. I know it's a, a blank spot in your reading, Keith. I need to do something about that. I have two lovely volumes sitting there. They may I need to come your way. two trades, if you recall. What's one of the first things that I bought off you? And yet you're only um, on the first two. Yeah, I just... Uh, what I just is going never, on? <laughs> I enjoyed it. I did enjoy it at the time. Bruno enjoyed it at the time as well. But there's there's just, there's so much other stuff out there. I'll get there. I'll get there. I mean, I, I, I've done two. I've done Why the Last Man. Come on now. Exactly. You're, you'll, you'll finish the Holy Trinity soon, I have absolutely no doubt. But yeah, there's even a great splash page, you know, obviously letting you know it's 1991. And uh, they've managed to incorporate in uh, Nirvana's Nevermind into the into the logo which is pretty sweet as well uh an image that is as uh powerful today as it was in 1991 of a baby chasing a dollar on a fishing hook one of the great album covers of all time so yeah i i wouldn't really recommend this as a, a jumping on point we always talk about jumping on points for series and it's always harder i find with indie series because indie series tend to be one big story we can obviously give you guys jumping on points for superhero stuff, for you know Batman or Spider Man or Avengers or whatever. But it's it's always harder I find within these series. Just do yourself a favor and get it from the start, and uh, come and join me on the the loving hill that is Deadly Class. So, my pick of the week didn't disappoint. Absolutely fantastic issue, Deadly Class forty five. So I'm uh, going to cool off for a little bit here after that big, massive and passion <laughs> rant and uh, let you tell Good me about you. Let me tell you about you or let you tell me about your pick of the week. Uh, my pick of the week. Well, I mean, sort of on a week, whenever Ed Brubaker and Sean and Jacob Phillips put out an original graphic novel, how do you not choose it as your pick of the week? Very true. Very true. You know, and I'm the wrong guy to ask about that because that's exactly what I've done. <laughs> um, this is Friend of the Devil, the second reckless book from Image by Ed Brubaker, uh, Sean Phillips, and Jacob Phillips on uh, on colours. So these guys are well known as the masters of crime comics, and this is the second hardback book they have put out chronicling the adventures of Ethan Reckless. Your trouble is his business for the right price. Um, and Ethan Reckless, I think, is a character that maybe Brubecker and Phillips don't trade in very much because he's a good guy, uh, or at least he's trying to be. Um, it's 1985, and things in Ethan's life are going fairly well until a missing woman shows up in the background of an old B-movie that uh, 
that he's watching in the theatre that he uh, that he owns uh, and lives in. And the uh, the girl who he's met uh, previously uh, in the uh, in the book, uh, Lynn recognises her, and as a result, Ethan is drawn into Hollywood's secret occult underbelly, the stuff that the Manson murders were made of, um, as he hunts for the, the the girl in the scene um, amongst the wreckage of the seventies, those wild days, and in doing that, he has. Ethan is is a tragic character. He's led away from from love and from happiness and back towards death and personal destruction. And from the start of this book, you just know it's not going to end well. You know it. <laughs> it's uh, you know, and it's always the trade off with these Brubaker Phillip books. Yeah, big style. And throughout this book, I think that's part of the trick of it is that we know from the start that it's not. It starts well. It starts in a good place for Ethan and you know it's not going to end there and you know throughout the book we've already we've already been introduced to Ethan uh, to Reckless in the first book um, which was just called Reckless um, but still I think you could pick this up without having picked that up uh, I think this could be if you wanted I mean this is this is part of uh, Brubaker and Phillips uh, new format where they're releasing three of these in the year, isn't that right, Alan? Once every yeah, every four months, every or something? four months, I believe is the is the aim. Yeah, um, but I'm uh, I mean Ethan Reckless, um, he's already one of my heroes after two books. He's uh, he's fantastic, and it's funny because I don't know if you noticed, but this time around, he seems to be narrating the story from a further point in the future. Yeah, there was uh, there, it, they do it in a really subtle way. That's what's what's mm-hmm, cool about it. You know, mm, they don't just outwardly and, say that. No, and I reread Reckless uh, earlier on, and, and was flicking through it, and that's not the same. He's he's not he's narrating from the immediate future, whereas this, he talks about characters and how he'd be interested to see them now that they they'd be they'd be probably a grandmother, uh, you know. And being that Lynn is the same age as Ethan in this, you're going, well, he must be narrating this from a time that he's old enough to be a grandfather. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he mentions laptops, you know, and, and email and and the internet, so. I don't know where they're going with this, um, but this this book is set a wee bit further in the future, and and than than the original Reckless is a few years, and we're really we we're sort of following along here, you know, with Ethan's narration and and witnessing the story from, you know, over his shoulder, I guess, in a lot of ways, and you find through the narration Ethan's need for closure. He's an investigator, and one clue leads to the next, and to the next horrifying discovery. And there's this—he refers to this awful momentum, increasingly propelling both him and the reader towards inexorably towards this vicious, ugly, destructive conclusion. It's—it's it's, Brubaker's writing is phenomenal, and the the art, Sean Phillips' art, is so atmospheric. Places that. We go to places, there's a lot of different backdrops, a lot of different places, and whenever we go to those places, they look like the way we imagine those places would look like, even if we haven't been there. And in a very, as art works in a very sort of less is more sort of way, and whenever mm-hmm. whenever we flash back to the 70s, it looks like the 70s. <laughs> you know, it's... Uh, but yeah, this is just... Uh, this is just such a book. I'm just... It, you know, it pulls in bits and pieces of things that you know about and new stories that you've heard of. And 
you know that the the characters the, the characters that were you know we're, we're, there's a couple of characters that we follow up on here and that we we know already uh, from the first book and uh, and then we're introduced to new characters and and just the the world around Ethan and how you, how you the skills that he's it, it's, it's it's easy to forget that he's FBA trained as well um, and uh, he's an ex FBA agent and stuff so it's just yeah I just I really really enjoyed this I really enjoyed it I, I sat up late reading it because I couldn't put it down um, what did you think Alan? Yeah, I was the exact same. I mean, I know that I know that you said you'd put this to the bottom of your pile so you could get through the single issues you had this week. I stupidly did the opposite, and this was the first thing I read this week. <laughs> uh, went to bed, movie soundtrack on, you know, setting the scene, so to speak. There's just, I don't know what it is about Brubaker and Phillips. I mean, they, they travel such well-worn, cliched waters, but somehow make it so fresh and as if you're reading these kind of stories for the first time, the character work is phenomenal the whole way through it. Just little bits here and there. You know, you, you see, you, you talk about Ethan Reckless's self-destructive sort of nature to him and how he can't be happy almost. And the line that always stuck with me throughout this whole book, obviously you know that he's not going to get a happy ending with his, his, new, his new companion, shall we say. But there's this line of, I would always be the guy who showed her that film. Mm-hmm. You know, because yes. because yeah. of his investigative head, he has to close out the case that yes. and he needs to give her yeah. the answer, even though he knows he's sacrificing his own happiness and chance of the future. Yeah. Um just I love that yeah. I love that term, uh, awful momentum. It's mm-hmm. it's it's the uh it's the cutting yourself and picking up the scab despite the fact you know it's gonna bleed. Yeah. It's the uh you know, there's there's it's just yeah, I just there was something of yeah that that yeah. Anyway, sorry. But but even there's but even Brubaker's storytelling. I mean, the, that that early story, uh, you know, the case that Ethan's working on to find the father who mysteriously Ooh. disappeared and all this, that could have been the basis of this whole book. But it's almost <laughs> like a throwaway story. Of it reminded me almost of like a Bond movie where it's like finishing off the the case before the credits. And, yeah, but it it what it, what that allowed him to do was introduce Lynn in a very uh, organic way yeah. organic way yeah uh-huh. yeah she was like a librarian and and i love how he just lays it all in the line as well he could have lied about why he needed to find out this information but he just goes ah you know what ah so i just told her about the job i was working you know richard fuller age 45 had thrown himself overboard etc cetera, etc cetera. so it's all about this missing man and uh at the end of it she says is that all true and he says yeah absolutely well, okay then, fuck that guy. Uh, so she's happy to help because of how horrible that man was in abandoning his family, essentially. So, yeah. It's there's, just, a great, uh, what a book. there's a great afterword from Ed Brubaker in this as well. We talk, he talks about how he grew up a Navy brat and never quite comfortable where he was because he always knew that he was going to be moving on, never quite making friends, you know, and we've got, we've got Ethan here. There's much to see him, you know. He's not comfortable in his own skin. He's not comfortable in his own time. And he talks about you know, moving to San Diego, San Diego in the 70s, the time of the satanic panic, you know, and how that was seeping into America's consciousness, the Manson murders, Watergate, Stranger Danger, um, the Son of Sam killings in New York, and, you know, low-grade... I, I remember, you know, in the 80s, the whole... Jesus, all we ever talked about in the playground was Satanism mm-hmm. and, and cults and, and 
there was a there was there was cults in the graveyard and there, you know it was all but it was all coming from the same satanic panic place you know and uh, and all of that sort of stuff and he talks about this is where the germ of that story came from and that's why he decided to make ethan 15 years older than he is yeah uh, in order that he could be there and interact but uh, yeah such a, such a book such a book I mean, you you talk about you know Hollywood coming to the well of comic books and adap- adapting stuff and all the rest. I mean, not that I need to see a movie version of this, but it's so cinematic, it's unreal. You almost forget you're reading a story. I find with with yeah. these worlds that yeah. these guys create because you hear yeah. the, the characters are so well defined. You hear their voices in your head. The colors are so atmospheric. The art's so expressive. I mean, when they watch that video at the end as well, uh, there, there's a couple of panels where you can just see like such regret or such shock i mean there's there's this little wave that uh that lynn gives him when she's leaving and it's like just this wee wave you can just see is full of regret if we could have been happy sort of thing and it's just one panel but yeah these guys are just absolute masters of their craft see if if i ever had someone come into the store who says i don't like superheroes can you give me a comic that you think I'll enjoy? Yep. <laughs> I would hand them a Brubaker Phillips book, and it probably yeah, would yeah. be reckless. It probably yeah. even ahead of Criminal, um, which we've actually really nice editions of coming in next week. But, oh, interesting! But Reckless is just self-contained one-shot book. You enjoyed the first one, boom! Here's the second one. Number three is out in a few months. Um, there's something in this story for everyone, and yeah, it's. It's almost a slight cheat in a way that we're picking our, our picks of the week are nearly always single issues. So it's a slight cheat, but I, I will allow yeah. it due to its quality. Yeah, you can't not. And, uh, and uh, it says at the end, look out for the next reckless thrill ride in October. Destroy all monsters. Yeah. Uh, yeah, looking looking forward to that. So, yeah, this was this was something else. I'm, I'm really looking forward to, to another read. And I think once uh, October rolls around, I'll probably pull out Pulp and Reckless and Friend of the Devil again and read them. Um, just look at that narration that kicks it off it's just incredible 1985 was a bad year when i think of the mid 80s i mostly think of all the bad drugs and music i never thought we'd be stuck listening to for the rest of our lives bands with big hair and loud keyboards drum machines depeche mode duran duran the music of cocaine and empty promises it was an ugly time (laughs) for the fashion of pop culture and an uglier time for the world around it that's page one it just draws you in so good. Just, yeah, I mean, uh, I would, I would happily never have these guys in a superhero book ever again. And Brew Baker is one of the greats when it comes to writing, obviously. But just mm-hmm. have them pumping out reckless books for you know, make this their Jack I Reacher even, book. You know what I mean? Pump I out love, twenty volumes. Uh, I love those covers as well. The covers are so eighties. Yeah, uh, they really are. Just the the yeah, brilliant stuff. Brilliant yeah, stuff. movie posters. Anyway, uh, so that would be my pick of the week then. The second Reckless book, Friend of the Devil, by Ed Brubaker, Sean Phillips, and Jacob Phillips from Image Comics. And that Reckless book sold out in our first week, but again, I have more copies of it coming next week, and we've got the first Reckless book in store as well. So, yeah, great pick, and uh, it's just really made me want to read it again. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully it makes a few other people who haven't read it want to read it as well. Yeah, here's hoping. So, so yeah, so that is pretty much us for the 28th of April releases. So we'll finish off as we always do with our uh, titles that we're most looking forward to this week. Uh, I've got a little mix this week of indie and of 
DC and oh, Pearl... did you say Little Mix? That's Stephen's favorite band. <sighs> yes, we're outing you, Stephen, as a Little Mix fan, but you you wouldn't care anyway. You'll happily tell anybody who listens, to be honest. But anyway, on to the books uh, we're looking forward to this week. So for me, as ever, of course, there's a Bat book here, and it is uh, Batman 108. So this is a, a first appearance book. This is one of those horrible titles i like to use the speculation books but the pre-orders in this are nuts i've even had people coming in who don't know anything about comics and somehow they've heard of the character miracle molly but anyway so batman 108 is uh james tinian uh the fourth continuing his great work on bats you have jorge jimenez on art tome moray on colors so batman goes undercover to infiltrate the transhumanist gang known as the unsanity collective and learn more about their sudden appearance in gotham on what nefarious plans does Simon Saint have for Arkham Day survivor Sean Mahoney? How does it connect to the Magistrate? And in part two of the action-packed bone-rattling Ghostmaker backup story, can our hero stand up to the horror of Kid Kawaii? And of course, they even say in the solicitations, don't miss the debut of the mysterious Miracle Molly. So that's book one. <laughs> I know you love a good speculative speculation book. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, next up for me is The Good Asian, number one. Uh, this is an interesting one as well because when we were chatting to uh, Declan the other night, we obviously do everything through Skype and you have video you can see um, see the background. And I had this sitting on my table and even Declan also was like, is that the good Asian number one over there? This seems to be a very much revered book within the uh, the creative community and it's getting loads of great notices. So uh, this is writer Pornsack Pichichutz, a long-awaited follow-up to the critically acclaimed Infidel with uh, art by Alexandra Tefenegi, who did the art on Outpost Zero. So this follows Edison Hark, a haunted, self-loathing Chinese-American detective on the trail of a killer in 1936 Chinatown. The Good Asian is Chinatown Noir starring the first generation of Americans to come of age under an immigration ban. The Chinese, as they're besieged by rampant murders, abusive police, and the world that seemingly never changes. Edison Hark immediately joins the ranks of Philip Marlowe and Sam Spade in a smart classic noir drenched in style and history. And that's just a review from James Tenney in the fourth, so uh, that gives you an idea of how well this book is, uh, is revered within the industry. So yeah, that's The Good Asian number one. Looking and then, forward to that one. That's a great read. I, I may have already read it. I'm slightly cheating saying I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> <laughs> but one I haven't read just yet, but my third pick of this week would be uh, Nocterra number three. I'm just loving this title from Scott Snyder, Tony S. Daniel, and, and again, Tomo Moray doing his best to uh, go up against Chris O'Halloran uh, as the hardest working colorist in the industry. So issue three is Full Throttle Dark Part 3, Know the Signs, Black Gums, Gnarled Bones, and Haunting Yellow Eyes. When you spot a human shade out there in the endless night, just do one thing. Run. So yeah, those are my three picks. Batman 108, Good Asian number one, and Nocterra number three. What about for yourself? Such a week to be telling me to pick three books, Alan. Gotta stick That's to the rules just here. Unfair. It's just too much good <laughs> stuff. Um so yeah, I mean I'm looking forward to all of those books you mentioned and more, as well as these three. Starting with Jason Aaron and Ed McGuinness's um, Heroes Reborn number one. This is the kickoff of their Avengers uh, limited series event book. Whatever happened to the Earth's Mightiest Heroes? A world without Avengers. Welcome to a world where Tony Stark never built the Iron Man armor. With Thor as a hard-drinking atheist who despises hammers. Where Wakanda is dismissed as a myth and where Captain America was never found in the ice. Because there were no Avengers to find him. Instead, this world has always been protected by Earth's mightiest heroes, the Squadron Supreme of America. And now the Squadron faces an attack from some of their fiercest enemies like Dr. Juggernaut, 
the Black Skull, the Silver Witch, and Thanos with his Infinity Rings. But why is the Daywalker Blade the one man alive who seems to remember the entire world has somehow been reborn? Interesting. So I'm looking forward to to that. Um, let me see. The Last Witch, number five. Final battle has arrived. Uh, Sorsha versus Bad. Uh, with the full power of the Kiliak against her, can Sorsha avenge her hometown and protect her family from further tragedy? This is Connor McCreary and VV Glass, and this is the end of uh, this uh, initial run from uh, from Boom. Um, I don't know. Is it uh, will it go beyond number five? You know, will there be another volume? But uh, this has been a fantastic series, and I'm really looking forward to to seeing how it finishes out. And then, lastly, I'm really looking forward to Swamp Thing number three from uh, Ram V, who we were lucky enough to interview a couple of weeks back. You can find that on our on our pod list. And Mike Perkins on art. This is Becoming, part three. Reeling from his battle with the Pale Wanderer, uh, Levi Cam- Camel uh, seeks the true nature of his transformations. And what better place to find his roots than the heart of the green itself? There, he and Jennifer will encounter the, de- the realm's many dezins, denizens, including one known as Holland and Poison Ivy. Who will aid Levi and who will harm him? If he has to pull Jennifer and himself back to the real world, Levi will need all the help he can get to tame the swamp thing running wide within. Uh, yeah, that's just been the first two issues of that were phenomenal. So uh, looking forward to that, amongst many, many other things. Many, many other things, which I have no doubt we'll be chatting about on next week's pod. It is sometimes hard to just uh, narrow it down to just three issues, but we've got to stick to the rules here, Keith. We've got to stick to the rules. So absolutely that's why we needed a third person on just so we could mention three more titles but anyway uh all of those titles will be available in store and on the website so again just in case you didn't know obviously the store is back open again it's not quite sitting facilities just yet but we're getting there and we'll hopefully be in that uh, scenario in a couple of weeks but you're more than welcome to come into the store have a look around check out all the new stuff we've been adding to the store and pick up some of those uh, new titles that are out so and pre-order time before time and pre-order time before time because you're <laughs> not going to want to miss out on that one uh and again how have we listened to that Declan Shelby interview is just just a, a good spud so but yeah we will leave it there that is the 28th of April releases and what we're looking forward to on the Wednesday the 5th of May so uh that was a pleasure as always Mr Miller I will look forward to seeing you in store soon and uh chatting some more comics so until next time Thank you.